My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really delighted to have you here today. Sometimes before I come up to share with you my thoughts, I kind of try to get a feel for the room, kind of try to get the mood of the room. And sometimes I have trouble telling if it's me or if it's you, but today I'm feeling the mood is tired. (laughs) Is that about right? And it's also me, and I'll confess that to you, because we've had a bunch of family the last two nights, and we've been up way too late. We've been trying to keep up with the young kids, is what we've been trying to do. Okay, the good news is this. We have this conviction that nobody is here by mistake, that you're all here because you're supposed to be here. And we also have this conviction that God wants to do something really special for you and for me. So I'm really glad that you're here. I want you to turn to your neighbor, someone who's sitting next to you, and I want you to tell them, you're here for a reason. Okay, good job. We are continuing to behold King Jesus. We said that was our goal for this entire month, to behold King Jesus. And we're going to do that by looking at a passage at the, near the very end of the Bible today. So I'd like to have you take out a Bible or open up your phone and go to Revelation chapter 19. So go way to the back. It's three chapters before the end. Revelation 19. Okay. A very different picture of King Jesus. Revelation 19. I'm going to start reading with verse 11. Revelation 19, 11. But I feel on a day like this, it would be very helpful for you to know that you're being prayed for. So I offer this prayer for you. The Lord be with you. Revelation 19.11 I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. His name is written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword which will strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of Almighty God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is God's word. And it's true, and we can rely on it. Are you a New Year's resolution kind of person? You realize you only have a few days. So what I want you to do is turn to your neighbor, someone sitting by you. Tell them if you're a resolution kind of person. And if you're not, tell them why not. And if you are a resolution person, tell them what you're thinking about for 2019, okay? Talk about resolutions. Just a quick second. Okay, are most of you resolution kind of, kind of people? No, not, we're not, okay. Well, did you know that if you were part of Congress or if you were on the board of some charity, to make a resolution is meaningless? Did you know that? No, I'm actually not just because they don't get anything done on those kinds of boards, but the phrase to be resolved or we are resolved to when made in a body like that is symbolic. It's a statement of the mood of the group. It's kind of like, this is our intention. This is what we would like to see, but we make a resolution, 
And that pretty much guarantees we're not going to actually do anything about it at all. But of course, we already knew that because we know about New Year's resolutions, right? We make them, and it's kind of like wishful thinking. We would like to see this thing happen, but we all know pretty much that it's not going to happen, and that's why many of us just give up on it. We don't, we don't even make resolutions anymore because we know we're not going to keep them. We resolve to be kinder, to read more, to stay out of social media, to make 2019 better than 2018 was, and nothing changes. Resolutions are wishful thinking, or another word for it would be like pipe dreams, like I'd like to see that happen, but I'm not really going to do anything to make it happen. That's what resolutions are. I wish I could run a marathon or fly to the moon, and I might write a resolution saying that I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to. Now, maybe your Christmas wish list is that kind of a thing. Do you make big wish lists before Christmas? Have you started yet for next Christmas on your wish list? When we were kids... We could take the Sears catalog, remember those big fat catalogs? And my mother would let us go through the Sears catalog and circle anything we wanted in the catalog for $3 or less. (laughs) But we could circle anything we wanted. But we pretty much knew it was wishful thinking, we're not going to get the stuff in the Sears catalog that we're going to go. Now, I'd like to try to up the ante on wishes and move uh, wishes from wishful thinking to actually raw desire so that we get something done. This is actually what we've been trying to do throughout Advent. We've been trying to up the ante of like just, you know, Christmas is nice and we have all these happy kind of uh, romanticized emotional expectations for Christmas, but they're all kind of wishful thinking. We kind of already know how it's going to go. We wanted to try to up the ante on that by focusing on a very important thing, And we used these candles to help us do that. We said we were going to try to up the ante on our wishes into turning into raw desire by beholding King Jesus. And the first week we did that, we lit one candle in expectation that King Jesus was worth beholding. And we talked about how if we have our attention drawn to something spectacular, we can't help but behold it. Okay? And that's going to up the ante on our expectations, move our wishful thinking to raw desire. The second week, we lit another candle, building our anticipation even further, thinking about beholding King Jesus and recognizing that he was born to a purpose, that he was born to become a king, that he was born to rule and reign and save his people. And because he has a purpose, then we have the same purpose to share his reign and his rule in this world as well. The third week, we lit another candle, trying to up our ante a little farther, building this expectation that Jesus turns everything upside down, that the things that he came to accomplish were not what people expected him to accomplish, that he behaved and acted in very different ways and turned all of our expectations sideways. Then we upped the ante a little bit more the next week by recognizing that if this is all true about this baby then we need to celebrate that. And maybe one of the best ways we can celebrate it is by singing. And we recognize all the singing that's going on in the story with the Mary singing and the angels singing and Simeon singing and Zechariah singing. All these people are singing throughout the story to celebrate the arrival of this king or anticipate the arrival of this king. And then finally, after all this buildup, we got to Christmas Eve where we celebrate 
The king is born. Let's celebrate this. Now, usually what we do, our usual practice is immediately after Christmas Eve, we ditch the candles. We don't light them again until next year because these are Advent candles. They're supposed to be all done before Christmas. I thought that it might up our ante of expectation a little bit farther if we could light them again today and think a little bit more about what happens if we keep beholding this king to see what happens next, what happens after the manger, what happens to the newborn king later. And we're going to do that by using this little passage that we just read in the Revelation chapter 19 to see that Advent is more than the coming of the newborn king. Advent all along was really supposed to be about the coming of the newborn king and the coming again of the king, the king of kings and lord of lords. Now, I admit that this might be a little bit of a difficult move for us to make because if your bias is similar to my bias, I know that I'm way biased toward thinking about cuddly newborn infant baby Jesus King. I'm not wired to think about coming on a white horse with wrath and judgment king. That's not the kind of king I'm used to. I would really much rather stay with newborn baby king because we have all kinds of like neat songs we could sing about that, right? And we could continue what we did last Sunday with singing, away in the manger, no room for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. <sighs> we, we like to sing about that. We don't really have any really great songs about the rider on the horse called Faithful and True who judges with righteousness and justice, who has flames for his eyes and a sword for a tongue, who's exercising the wrath of the Almighty on the nations. Does anybody got a song for that? My first reaction when I read this passage is, I want the cuddly Jesus back. Let's talk about the newborn baby Jesus. Away in the manger, no room for his head. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. But I'm going to invite you to make a little shift today away from cuddly baby Jesus to this picture of righteousness, judgment, wrath, armies of heaven swooping in, beholding that kind of king. Um, I, did any of you see the movie Talladega Nights with uh, Will Ferrell? Do you remember the Ricky Bobby prayer? He's doing grace before the mealtime. And as he starts to say grace, this is how he offers the prayer. Dear Lord baby Jesus... That's how he starts it. And then he uses this phrase repeatedly throughout the prayer. Dear infant Jesus, dear tiny Jesus, in your golden fleece diaper with your tiny little fat balled up fists. That's who he's praying to. And finally, the people listening are so annoyed, they interrupt him. And his wife says, you don't always have to call him baby. It can be a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. He was a man. He grew up. He had a beard. To which Ricky replies, I like Christmas Jesus best. And I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can pray to whatever Jesus you want to, to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. And then he starts to pray again. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant and so cuddly but still omnipotent. Thank you for your power. Do we get to behold whatever kind of Jesus we want 
Do we get to behold just infant baby Jesus or do we have to behold King Jesus? This is what John says. Then I saw a heaven open and behold a white throne. And the one sitting on the throne was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war and his eyes are like flames of fire and on his heads are many crowns and he has a name written that no one knows but himself and he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name on which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven are following him arrayed in fine linen white and pure riding white horses from his mouth comes a sharp sword which will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his thigh is tattooed the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's a tough jump from tiny little baby Jesus to King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Why would we want to make this jump? Well, here's kind of an interesting story In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was beautiful, flawless. We call it paradise. Everything was exactly as God intended it, and all of creation, including men and women, were put in this world to honor him, to to bring glory to him, to exalt him. And the crowning creation in this world was the man and the woman, They were actually made in the image of God. And in being made in that image, one of the things they were called to do was to continually cultivate the world so that it would reflect honor and glory back to God. They were called to worship God and to honor God, to follow God, to obey Him and do what God wanted them to do. And as they did that, their image-ness, their divineness increased and grew. And then one day... One of them had a wish. Maybe they both had this wish. Their wish was, I wish I could be in charge. That's what they wished. I wish I, don't, I, wish I didn't have to follow God's rules. I, didn't, I wish I didn't have to co-lead with God. I wish I could do this on myself. And so they took it upon themselves to break one of the rules, the only rule that God had given them, and took matters into their own hands and immediately after doing that, they realized this is, not gonna, this is not going well. It's not. Have you ever had that where you had something you really wished for, you really wanted it, and, you, and then you got it and it really wasn't all that it was cracked up to be or all that you thought it was going to be? Well, that's what happened to them. And they realized that now the one thing that they had enjoyed the most, which was sweet communion with God, they spent their days walking in the garden with God and knowing God intimately, that was broken, and instead of wanting to be with God, what they wanted to do was they wanted to hide from God. And so they went into hiding, and then God came and had to come find them in the garden. They had great grief because the world was now broken. And they realized that in their attempt to try to rule over it, they failed. And darkness came down upon them. But God did come to find them. And God established a plan by which, you know, 
they were given a vocation, a calling to continue to cultivate the world and continue to follow God and God clothed them, God took care of them. And it seemed like God had a, a way to overcome the disobedience, overcome, even though they had tried to dethrone him, make themselves kings. God says, that's okay, I can take care of that. And so they go back to life and they do the things we do. I, I think of them as more like every man and every woman. And so they have desires and they live their life and they have a family, they have kids, they have a couple sons. And then one day, because the world has been broken, one, one son kills another son. Can you imagine the day Adam and Eve had to hold the body of their lifeless son? That's a day when their wishful thinking turned into what I'm going to call raw desire. In the moment when they're holding their lifeless son, they're thinking, gosh, I wish this world could be fixed. I wish we could have a do-over. I wish we could make things right again. They're thinking in that moment, we need somebody else to be king because we messed it up. We need somebody who can come and be king who can make this right again. And you know what? It's an interesting story because God comes and he says, you know what? I'll be king. I am king. I'm going to reign and rule in this world. And I have a plan. This plan, first of all, was kind of revealed through the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. God says, I'm going to use this people to bless the entire world. I'm going to use this people to set things right again. And that goes pretty good for a while. But then they start to think about ways that they can dethrone God. In fact, it becomes pretty blunt. One of the most obvious ways where this happens is they go to God and they say, hey, we want a king of our own. We want to be like everybody else. Give us a king. And God actually warns them about this wish. He says, you know, it's not going to go well for you if I give you a king. And they go, we don't care. We want a king anyway. And so God gives them a king. And you know what? It doesn't go well. And the kings end up being frail and broken men who lead badly, and the nation of Israel gets overcome. There's actually a series of stories, if you read all of them, this happens over and over again. They mess up, and God says, okay, I can fix that. And then they mess up again, and they suffer the consequences. And they have a growing desire every time that they, they mess up to see a, a a better king come to set things right. And God says, okay, I can do that. And he promises, and he keeps working this plan. And then one day the plan is actually narrowed down, not just to the nation of Israel as a whole, but to one person within the nation that comes a promise that one day there will be a king, a Messiah, one man from the nation of Israel who's going to set everything right, who's going to bring righteousness and justice, who's going to have light shining in the darkness. And the focus turns to this Messiah. But even then, these people keep thinking of ways to like, try to knock God off the throne. They keep messing up. Their desire keeps growing more and more for wanting this king to come. And then one day, he comes. And we just celebrated that. But nobody saw it coming. They were looking for a different kind of king. 
They're expecting it to come in a different way. Even though they had had many beautiful promises, one of the promises they had about this king is in the book of Isaiah. This is how the promise came to them. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as warriors rejoice while dividing their plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, the oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given." And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and of peace there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. What kind of king would you like to rule in this world? Sounds like a pretty good king. A king who brings light to people walking in darkness. A king who increases joy. So we rejoice like after a great harvest. A king who multiplies delight as like when warriors come back from battle with plunder. The war's over, there's no more fighting. A king who establishes peace and justice. Do you desire that? Do you have a raw desire to see that kind of king come back? I don't know. There's a song. I, I think the first time I heard this song, I was in high school, and I think my youth group leader played this for me, and it made a real impression on me, and I listen for it every year. I don't hear it very often. It's a song called My Grown-Up Christmas List. Have you ever heard that song? I'll give you a little piece of the chorus. This is what it says. This is this person's grown-up Christmas list, what they wish for. No more lives torn apart, that wars would never start, and time would heal all hurts, and everyone would have a friend, and right would always win, and love would never end. That's our grown-up Christmas wish. They don't play it very often. I don't, maybe it's not wishful thinking enough. That's kind of a raw desire kind of song. Like we really want to see those things come true, don't we? Who of us in the last days or weeks or months haven't had a time when we've observed something or maybe experienced something and we said, that hurts. That's bad. That's evil. That's dark. That's broken. That's messed up. That's not the way it should be. We'd like a king to come fix that, wouldn't we? I know I've had that. So I'd like a king who would come and make all things new. A king who would come back and establish um, new creation. Who would take us back to the garden. Paradise. That's the kind of king I would like. Who makes everything that's broken right again. Who establishes God's kingdom fully. This is what we pray about, by the way. When we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Behold King Jesus. 
This is the description of what happens just a little bit after Revelation 19 when we read about this rider on this horse with the sword and flames and justice and judgment. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now with his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying, for the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life, and those who are victorious will inherit this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Isn't that the kind of king we want, really? But I have to confess to you, I don't wake up every morning saying, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This morning I woke up and yeah, I think I was coming from a food coma and I was just stumbling through the house trying to find an apple to eat for breakfast and wondering if I could pull it together in time to get here. I wasn't thinking as I ate my apple, looking out the window, is, there, is today going to be the day Jesus comes? I didn't think about that driving in. I too noticed the tree in the ditch over here. I wasn't looking up, I was looking down. But I do have days when I see the pain and the brokenness and the trouble, the darkness that's in the world, the injustice, and I think, I wish there was a really good and great king who would come and do something about this right now. And I have days when I look at the brokenness and the darkness and the pain and the despair in me and I wish a really good and great king would come and do something about this right now. And you know what? Because of Christmas, I know that God is coming to do something about that. Behold King Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I give you thanks for these good people and for their willingness to come here today and be subject to your leadership in their lives. I pray, God, that you would help us all to continue to grow in our willingness to submit to you as Lord and King, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so continue the good work that you started in us until one day it is brought to completion. And we'll be careful to give you thanks for all of that. In Jesus' name, amen.